all the disciples were together in one room, waiting and praying, patiently waiting. It had been 10 days, 10 days since they saw Jesus ascend up into heaven. Ten days since they were staring at the sky and the angel looked down and said, what are you waiting for? Get back into Jerusalem. Ten days of being together and praying. Patiently waiting on the promise that Jesus had said that he was going to send help. And so they were together praying together. And wait, they had, re- they had replaced Judas and they spent time praying and waiting, but it, it had been ten days. And now it was Pentecost. Pentecost. So it's now 50 days since the Passover, 50 days since Jesus had been crucified, 50 days since everything had changed. Right? Jesus had died. We, we saw him raised from the dead. And yet in the, the chaos that followed, the religious leaders were spreading the rumor that it was us disciples that, that had taken Jesus' body and hidden it just to... to, to spread our agenda. Ten days or 50 days since all of that had changed, and, and, but we saw Jesus. We were with him. He, he came to the upper room. He was, met some of the disciples as they walked to Emmaus, and he talked with them and taught them. And, and over 40 days on numerous occasions, he was with us, and he taught us. We were with him. And then 10 days ago, he taught us one last time and ascended up into heaven. 50 days. And now it's Pentecost. Pentecost is, and for those of you who don't know, Pentecost was, was one of the three festivals that was outlined in the law given to Moses. Right? Like Passover, Pentecost was one of those ones that everybody was supposed to uh, travel to Jerusalem. All the Jewish males were supposed to go to Jerusalem and offer their sacrifice of first fruit. Right, Pentecost, we call it Pentecost because it's 50 days, but it was also known as the Festival of Weeks or the Festival of First Fruits. And so at Passover, when Jesus had died, Jerusalem had been full. Right? Religious, devout Jews from all over had come to be obedient to the law, but, but Pentecost is bigger. Because right? you see, Pentecost, it's late May, and so the weather's good. Right? Pentecost, it's late May, so the first harvest has already come in, which means I have some spending money. And so Jews from all over the world are together in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival, right? to offer their sacrifices in the temple. So Jerusalem is packed to overflowing. You see, today we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We see the story of Pentecost. And just like Marty talked about last week, the disciples were waiting patiently. They were prepping. They were getting ready. They were doing what they've been told, to wait on the Holy Spirit. And they kept waiting. And Pentecost is when the fulfillment of that happens. And the Holy Spirit comes and fills his people. And so even with Jerusalem packed to overflowing with all these devout Jews from all over the known world together in Jerusalem, the disciples were still together. Waiting on the promise. And the story probably played out something like this. Right, that even though the city was full, all the disciples were together, nobody left. We just kept waiting, praying, 
doing what we were told, patiently waiting, 10 days. And I don't know if anybody heard it first or if it was all at the same time, but suddenly it, this room just filled with this noise. And I, the best way to describe it, it's, it was like a wind. Right? Just this rushing wind just filled my ears. And it was, it was like that time when we were on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and all of a sudden that storm just came. I'll never forget that because I've never been more scared in my life than when that storm hit and our boat was getting tossed to and fro. We were clinging to that boat for dear life, calling out to Jesus to save us. And the wind was just ripping the sails. And the lake water was blowing in our faces and just that noise. It was something like that, but we were in the room, but the room was still. There was no wind, but we just heard that noise, and it just filled every corner of the room. And then somebody pointed and shouted, and we all looked up, and all of a sudden, out of the ceiling, descending from above, there's like this, it was like a ball of fire, right? It just starts descending, and all of a sudden, it just disperses, and little bits of the flame go in, and over each of our heads, all 120 of us that are there, the, the flame just come and rests over the head. It's not like there's heat. It's not like we're on fire, but it looks like there's fire. And then just as suddenly something changed. And I, I felt it. Something was different. This was, I, I knew without being told that this was what Jesus had promised, that the Holy Spirit was coming. It, something came over me. Something was different. And in that moment, there was nothing else to do. And so I just burst out praising God. And everybody else did the same. All of us just worshiping God, praising God, singing, praying. We were all just worshiping God, giving glory to God because he fulfilled his promise. And as we did, I don't know what brought him. I don't know if they heard the noise too or if they just heard the commotion of all of 120 of us singing and praising God. But, but all the devout Jews from around the city started gathering around. This whole crowd gathered around us to see what was going on. And they started claiming they could all understand us in their own languages. And now that, that's crazy because we're a whole bunch of Galileans. Most of us are Galileans. And, and I don't know if you know about Galileans, but Galileans, most of us barely had enough time to learn our own trade, let alone any other language. Right In Jerusalem, people make fun of us Galileans. They call us hicks or hillbillies, and they make fun of the way we talk because we're uneducated. And yet here we've got Jews from all over the known world, from the east in Persia, from the north in Turkey and Asia, from Egypt and North Africa, from Greece and all the islands in the Mediterranean, even from as far away as Rome, claiming that they can understand us in their own native languages. Not only that, but in their own dialect. Somehow they claim that we've got their accents. They can understand us and they hear us. Pentecost will never be the same. You see, Pentecost was that was that festival where the, the people of Israel celebrated the first fruits. And just like Jesus perfected the Passover, we see that Jesus now perfects Pentecost. And we see on this first Pentecost, as we understand it, the birth of the church and the first fruits of the church. You see, in a way that we don't understand, we can't fully comprehend, the Holy Spirit came in a rush and filled all of the disciples, all of God's people were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now today as we look at this passage, I think it's really critical that we understand Pentecost and why it happened. Because in our church culture in America today, there's, there's so much confusion and, and a whole lot of mysticism surrounding the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what we, we need to understand as we try to make sense of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit came and lives in us? What changed on Pentecost? So we know what happened. So obviously, I think the very first question in helping us understand is because we see that, right, that Pentecost, in these, in these 13 verses in Acts chapter 2, we see that all 120 disciples were together in one place. And then with some audible and visual phenomenon, the Holy Spirit comes and fills his people. And then all the disciples start praising God. And the crowds gather. And, and what we'll see next week as we get into verse 14 is that Peter like capitalizes on this crowd and he preaches the gospel. So come back next week for that. That's good. All right. But we're left with this question. Okay, so Pentecost happened. But, but I think the big first question that we have to wrestle with is when we understand. So Pentecost happens. This happens. Why did it happen? Why did this event occur? And, and as we read Scripture, we really see it's, it's, it's a pretty basic reason. Why did, why did Pentecost happen? It's because God was fulfilling His promises. You see, Pentecost was God's sovereign plan from the very beginning. We see when, when Jesus gathered with the disciples for the Last Supper in, in John, there's a couple chapters of Him teaching. He's talking a lot about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm leaving you but I'm going to send an advocate, a helper who will be with you. In John 14, verses 15 through 17, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. In John 7, Jesus described it as, a, as a, a river of life, a living water within us. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who lives and dwells within his people. But he even goes back into the prophets. Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 through 20, it says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. They will then follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Jesus, God, was fulfilling his promise, his sovereign plan from the beginning to dwell with his people and among his people. And so Pentecost is the fulfillment of God's promise. And I think it's important to understand because the disciples, there was, there was nothing special about what they did. They were just obedient. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he told them to wait. Wait on the promised helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And so they did that. And they prayed. And they waited. And God fulfilled his promise. There's nothing special about the way the disciples prayed or what they prayed for or the amount of time that they prayed that brought the Holy Spirit down. God was fulfilling his promise to his people. And just like them, there's nothing that we can do, and there's no special formula of, of prayer or amount of prayer or time of prayer or way to pray to bring the Holy Spirit down because the Holy Spirit is already in His people. And so it's important for us to understand that. 
Because up until Pentecost, the disciples were each on their own. Each and every one of them there. Jesus left them. He ascended into heaven and they were there on their own. But then when Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit indwelt us and, and they were never alone again. God knew we couldn't do it on our own. He knew we needed help. And so he sent us the help that we need. And so if Pentecost, as we understand it, as we read this passage, is the Holy Spirit coming down to dwell within his people. I think the obvious follow-up question, the one that we're going to spend the bulk of our time on today is, is simply this. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? What's the role of the Holy Spirit? Right, we believe in the Trinity, right? That there's God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. One God manifests in three people. Our brains crack when we try to understand it. But that's the, we, we understand that to be true. And yet as we wrestle with it, right, we, we, we see God. We understand God the Father, and we can try to wrap our minds around that, and we can kind of say, you know, I, I think I got this. Right? At least enough that I can try to explain it to somebody else. God the Father. And Jesus, I, I, I've got my mind wrapped around Jesus a little bit. I understand I can explain to somebody else who Jesus is and what he did. And then there's the Holy Spirit. I, I think we just kind of like, well, yeah, he's there. Pentecost happened, Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Yep. <laughs> I, I think a lot of us wrestle with that. And so what we're going to do this morning, what I'm going to attempt to do is give a brief overview of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And we have no time to do it. So this is going to be very brief and just cover some of the highlights. But here's my challenge to you. In the sermon notes you can get online, there's a whole bunch of verses. There's the sermon guide. And if you're in a life group, you can go through those together. If not, the sermon guide's still there. And I would encourage you to wrestle with some of those questions because I think we often just, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit and what he does. And yet Jesus sent him to us. And so I'd encourage you to look at God's Word and understand the work of the Holy Spirit and who He is. So, here's our, our quick highlights. All right, first and foremost, the important thing is when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a who, not an it. And again, oftentimes, because we just, we're not comfortable with uh, really grasping who the Holy Spirit is, we just kind of like, well, then there's the Holy Spirit, it's that, that thing over there. But the Holy Spirit is a who, it's a person of the Trinity. It's God, the Holy Spirit. And we also have to understand this, that the Holy Spirit, part of his role is that everything that the Holy Spirit does, it glorifies God. Everything that the Holy Spirit does is to glorify God, is to bring glory to God. His role in the Trinity is to glorify God in everything that he does. And so first and foremost, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does for us, it's the Holy Spirit who works in our hearts to soften our hearts and bring us to Christ. Our whole realization that we need a Savior is because the Holy Spirit works within us to make us aware of our need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us and makes us new. When we surrender our lives to Christ, when we surrender to God, the Holy Spirit's the one making us new. And dwells within us. And as the Holy Spirit lives within us, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin. 
And the Holy Spirit at work within us is the one who convicts us and makes us aware that the things that we used to do that are contrary to Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that now convicts us that those things are wrong and contrary to God. But Jesus said he was going to send a comforter and a helper and an advocate. And and I think there's four things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives that, that help us recognize the work the Holy Spirit does in us. And the first one is that the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and minds. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our hearts and minds to understand the truth of God. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to, as we read God's Word, uh, inspire our hearts and minds, make us aware of God's truth. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 says, What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us insight into His Word. Our ability to understand God and His love for us and understand His Word and make sense of it because the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our minds to awaken us to His truth. Our ability to understand and know God is because the Holy Spirit's at work inside of us. And as we memorize God's Word, it's the Holy Spirit who brings those things back to our minds. the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and insight. It's the Holy Spirit who's at work in all of that. He illuminates our minds. Secondly, it's the Holy Spirit who guides us. We understand our purpose and our direction and our steps because the Holy Spirit at work within us. Galatians 5.16, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's the Holy Spirit who tells us what to do and directs us which way to go. And as we yield to the Spirit, we can understand what His purpose is for us and His desire for us and His direction for us. The Holy Spirit guides us. Third, the Holy Spirit equips us. On our own, we are hopeless and helpless. We don't have what we need, but the Holy Spirit equips us with everything we need to live obedient to Christ. The Holy Spirit equips us with spiritual gifts to glorify God. The Holy Spirit equips us with what we need to mold us and shape us to reflect Christ. The Holy Spirit equips us with gifts to serve one another, to serve each other, and to bring glory to God, to further the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who equips us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 goes through the spiritual gifts. There's a bunch of different lists lists in the New Testament as Paul writes these letters that defining what are these gifts that God has given us. And all of them, all of the gifts are for the purpose of bringing glory to God. As we are changed, as we serve one another, and as we serve His world, the Holy Spirit equips us. And the fourth thing is that the Holy Spirit empowers us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is right as Jesus is about to ascend, he promises, he's like, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit fills us, he gives us power. He gives us the strength, the ability to do what we're called to do, to be obedient. He, we receive power. Look at, look at some of the people we see in God's word, pre-Holy Spirit, post-Holy Spirit. Hey, see, we see Peter. 
right? As a disciple before the Holy Spirit come, here's Peter. He's a brash fisherman, not afraid to open up his mouth and speak, normally without thinking, right? Peter, who's, who's, who's got these strokes of bravery, right, in the face of soldiers coming to rest Jesus, it's Peter who grabs his sword and cuts off a, a soldier. He's brave in the face of danger. And yet just moments later, standing before a servant girl, denies that he ever knew Jesus because he's afraid of what she's going to say. Peter, a fisherman, uneducated, strokes of bravery, tons of foolishness. Holy Spirit comes and equips him, empowers him, enlightens him. And what do we see right after this passage we're looking at today? When the whole crowd of Jews from all over the known world come, what does Peter do? He stands up boldly and proclaims the gospel. The Holy Spirit fills him and makes him a bold leader in the church. And you see, as we continue going through the book of Acts this year, you'll see story after story of Peter standing before the Sanhedrin, the religious leader saying, I don't care what you threaten me with, what you're going to do, I will not stop speaking the name of Christ. The Holy Spirit changed Peter. And he does the same in us. The Holy Spirit gives us all of those things. And on top of all of that, as Jesus said, He gave us a comforter. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the truth of God, reminds us as the world seems to be falling apart around us. As we're faced with grief, it's the Holy Spirit who comforts us and reminds us of the love of God, reminds us of the truth that we see in Scripture. And Jesus said... And it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus present with us. This is one of those things, right? As Jesus promised the comfort, he's like, it's good that I leave you. Hey, look at this, this verse, John 16, starting in verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come. Hey, so I, as I study this, this is the, one of those things that, that I think just kind of became clear in my mind, maybe for the first time, right? I've always known this, this verse, right? That it, Jesus said it was good that I leave because then the Holy Spirit comes in you, right? But, but let me ask this question this way. How many of you would love to have Jesus sitting by your side, right? Oh, right? How great would that be, right? If Jesus was with us physically to walk with us, talk with us, like, that's a no-brainer. Yes, I'd love for Jesus to come and be with me. As I go throughout my day, as I go throughout my week, to have Jesus here to talk with. Yes. But let me take a step further. Would you love to have Jesus at your side at the cost of the Holy Spirit? That you couldn't have the Holy Spirit with you? That one makes me wrestle with it a little bit, right? Because I'm like, well, yeah, I want Jesus here. That'd be awesome. But Jesus said it was best that he leaves so that we could have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And I think the reason that we wrestle with that question, we don't like instantly be like, nope, Holy Spirit, I'll see Jesus in heaven. I don't need him now. I've got the Holy Spirit. The reason that we're not so quick to answer that, I think, is in part because we don't fully grasp the Holy Spirit. 
We don't understand the work that the Holy Spirit does. We don't understand the privilege we have of having the Holy Spirit reside within us. Think about this. The disciples were with Jesus for three years. They walked with Jesus. They, they listened to him. He taught them. He, he spent time with them. They watched him do miracles. But every time Jesus separated from them, there were issues. Right? When the 70, when Jesus sent the 70 out into all the towns, they ran into all sorts of problems. They came back with lots of questions like, Jesus, what? I don't understand why this happened. Right? When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? the disciples who were left below, when Jesus comes down, they're in, the, they're in a mess. They're like, we don't know what to do. Jesus, we need you. The fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, that He'll never leave us, is an amazing truth that we need to understand and grasp. So again, there's the, the very, 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 very brief Holy Spirit overview, right? But here's, so here's the, what I want to spend the last little bit of time together is this. So if the Holy Spirit lives within us, and that's a good thing, and we need to understand it more, what does this mean for me? All right, and first and foremost, it's this, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you have given God control of your life, if you've come to that point where you recognize, on my own, I can never meet God's standard. Jesus, I need you. I trust in what you did for me on the cross. The moment that we proclaim our trust in Jesus, the moment we proclaim our dependence on him as our savior, the Holy Spirit lives within us. You see, really what happens is, is when we are saved, which is a work of the Holy Spirit, we experience our own Pentecost, right? In that moment that we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us just like he did within the disciples. Granted, we don't hear the rushing wind. We don't see the fire. We don't get all that fun stuff, right? But the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have all of the benefits of that. And we see that even just a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 9 when we see Saul who is persecuting the church on his way to Damascus to arrest people. He interacts with Jesus. He meets Jesus. And then in Damascus, when he surrenders his life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills him. And we see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Then a few chapters later, Cornelius, the Gentile, when Peter comes to his house and proclaims the truth of God, and Cornelius and his family surrender their lives to Christ and believe that Jesus is who he says he was, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 9, it says the same thing for all of us, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says that if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. That all those who belong to Christ are filled with the Spirit. And again, we see it. We talked about Peter, the way that his life was changed with the Holy Spirit. Saul slash Paul, right? Holy Spirit comes in and changes a man who is zealously persecuting the church and turns him into a person who gives his life sacrificially to serve the church and proclaim the gospel throughout every part of the known world. With the same boldness, and it's transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. You got people like Peter or James and John, brothers as disciples arguing over who's the greatest. And then they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they both sacrificially serve the church for the remainder of their lives, serving others. 
And the same is true with us. That is, when we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within us. So if the Holy Spirit lives in us, then, then how come there are times where it feels like I'm, I've, the Holy Spirit's full and other times I feel drained? Right? Or how come I see other Christians who seem to be just living lives just full of the Holy Spirit and other people not so much? Like, why? Right? If the Holy Spirit lives in us, then why that whole spectrum of difference? And really, it's because there's a choice. Each of us have a choice. When we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about Ghostbusters, right? Where some spirit comes in and takes over and completely controls someone. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works in us. He doesn't take over our body and, and take over our will. The Holy Spirit fills us, lives in us, and equips us, empowers us, enlightens us, does all those things, but yields to us. And so each and every one of us, we have a choice. Are you going to live God's way or your own way? That's really what it boils down to. If we do things God's way, then we walk in step with the Spirit. We're walking in obedience to God's Word. Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And chapter 5 continues going and explaining that the way we do that is by submitting to one another, by submitting to God, allowing Him to have control. I'm going to do things God's way. And as I do things God's way, as I live in obedience to His Word according to His design, then I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, and just a, and we'll get there in a, in a month or so, uh, we see the, the apostles, as the church starts to grow and they can't keep up with things, they, need, they realize they need help, so they, they create deacons to help lead. And here are the instructions. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Why are they full of the Spirit? Because they're doing things God's way. They're walking in step with the Spirit, in obedience and submission to will of God. We grow in being filled by the Spirit by submitting to God and living according to His Word. Now, so think of it this way. You have a, a vehicle, you buy a brand new vehicle, you want to take care of it, and you put gas in it, and you check the tires and make sure it has oil. And, and as long as you follow the instructions and the manual, your, your car will run well. Right? But if you start doing things like draining all the gas, taking the air out of the tires, throwing sugar in the gas tank, all those fun things, right? Your car is going to break down and it's not going to run well. And you can sit there and be like, well, why? Why is my car not running as good as theirs, right? Well, you're doing things wrong. <laughs> and that's really what it boils down to with the Holy Spirit, that we need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. When we walk in step with the Spirit, we're being submissive to the will of God, doing things God's way. And the contrast to that is doing things our own way. The Bible describes that as quenching the Holy Spirit. And we're ignoring the Holy Spirit. We ignore the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. We basically, again, the Holy Spirit's not like some spirit that comes and takes over our will and controls our body. He guides us. And if the Holy Spirit's saying, do this, and you're like, nope, I'm going to do it my way. Well, eventually the Holy Spirit yields to us. He's not going to force us, right? We're not, we're not robots being controlled by God. We are children who He loves, that He directs, and He guides, and desires our obedience. Acts 
chapter 7, verse 51. This is the end of Stephen's sermon. And Stephen was one of those seven who were appointed to help care for the church. And he's the first martyr. And he's there before all the people. And he, he preaches a message to them. And at the very end of the message, listen to what he says in, in some incredible boldness. Acts 7, 51. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Spirit. They quenched the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led them what to do, and they, they quenched the Spirit. They ignored, they resisted the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, we're told to put off falsehood, to quit stealing, that no unwholesome talk should come out of our mouths, to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger. Then it says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 1 Thessalonians 4.7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. We are not to quench the Holy Spirit. And we quench the Holy Spirit by choosing to do things our way. God has given us His Word. He's given us His Holy Spirit to lead us to be obedient to Him. And when we choose to ignore that and do things our way, we quench the Holy Spirit. We can't expect the Holy Spirit to fill us when we are living contrary to the Word of God. Because the, the, the Bible, the Word of God that we have, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's never going to lead us or instruct us to do anything contrary to His Word. And so if we want to be people who are Spirit-filled, we need to live in obedience to God's Word. So as we think about Pentecost, as we talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Really, we're left with this question of what are we going to do? And for some of you, it may be simply this. You're like, you know, I have never surrendered to God. I've never taken a step of obedience. Jesus stood in my place and went to the cross and he died for me. Because apart from God, I can't do anything on my own. I can't save myself. And so Jesus came for me and he said, I love you this much. And if we have never called on the name of the Lord, if we have never surrendered our life to his, then we don't have the Holy Spirit. So maybe what you need to do is come to that point of ultimate surrender and give your life to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to come and take charge. But if the Holy Spirit resides in you, if you are a child of God, then we're all with this choice of of what are we doing? Are we walking in step with the Spirit? Are we being submissive to His purpose and His plan for our lives? Are we allowing Him to take control and to mold us and shape us to reflect Jesus? Or are we doing things our own way? Are we quenching the Holy Spirit as we live contrary to the Word of God. Church, my prayer for each and every one of us is that we yield to the Holy Spirit. I want to be a person who surrenders to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work mightily in me. 
right? To equip me, to empower me, not for my glory, not to make me an amazing person, but to shape me like Jesus and to bring glory to God that everything I do brings God glory. It serves others. I want that for each and every one of us, that, that as a church, we are passionately in love with Jesus. And we are surrendering to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to work in us. And that this church is changed as we are molded and shaped to reflect Jesus. As we love one another well, as we care for one another, as we care for this world. As we point people to the hope of the gospel and what God has done for us. I want us to be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. Surrendering the Holy Spirit, doing things God's way for His glory and His fame. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we worship you. God, we worship you because you are worthy of it all. God, we thank you that you have rescued us, but you didn't just rescue us and leave us on our own. You have given us your Spirit. Jesus, I pray that we would understand what it means to walk in step with the Spirit, that we would yield to the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, that you would come and, and, and work mightily in our lives, in our church, that you would do all of the things that, that you long to do, that you would guide us, that you would equip us, that you would empower us, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to understand the love of God. And that you would use us to care for one another, to love one another, to proclaim to the world the goodness of God. We pray that you would just draw us to yourself, that we would reflect you to your world. We pray and ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, church, it has been good to be together this morning. It is so good as we just wrestle with God's Word. And again, the challenge is for all of you. Take God's Word with you. Read it. Study it. Ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, to illuminate in your heart and mind the truth of God's Word. And, and I do challenge you to wrestle with God's Word. But as we leave, I'll be right down here heading on to the lobby. I'd love to talk with you if I don't know you yet. But that goes true for all of you. Engage with one another, encourage one another. As we leave, as we walk out of this place, let's, let's be the church. Let's push each other along as we chase after Jesus to know him and make him known. Let's pray as we leave. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the beautiful day you have given us. We pray that, that we would enjoy it. We pray that we would uh, just continue day after day to chase after you, to know you and make you known. We ask this all in your wonderful holy name.